So right now we're working on our Ask series, and I have to say I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would. Uh, when I, we started this series, I told you I really dislike this type of, of thing, where we're asked questions and then have to respond to them rather than just opening the Bible and saying, what does the Bible say? I still prefer opening the Bible and saying, what does the Bible say? But I have to admit that just because of this uh, series, I went to FCA middle school group. That's uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes middle school group. One of my sons is involved in that group, and I get to teach there from time to time. And so this uh, last Friday, I was there, and I said, okay, guys, no holds barred. Ask any question you want. And so this is a group of about 22 middle school boys looked at me with blank faces and said nothing. And I went, oh, this is going to be a long morning. And then one kid raised his hand and he says, well, I have a question. And he, he started to ask a question about what's the unpardonable sin. And we talked about that. And that led to another question about who Satan is. And then another question about just on and on and on and on. And it was so much fun to engage with that. And I'm finding that same thing here. That as people are asking questions, it's causing me to wrestle through some issues. This was a, a little bit weird of one for me. Uh, so the, the way that we have phrased the question, we got a few questions sort of related around the same thing. And so the way that we phrased this question is, how can the church justify its existence? The specific questions that we got were, were these. Why should the buildings of New Life Church in West Lynn and Wilsonville be exempt from paying property taxes? What good do your congregants do in the West Lynn, Wilsonville, and surrounding communities that offset the tax dollars that would come from your organization to these cities? And if you are little Christs, in what ways are your neighborhoods a better place as a result of your presence? Okay, so these were the, the specific questions that had to do with, okay, you guys are a church. Because you're a church, you get nonprofit uh, status and and don't have to pay taxes, and don't have to pay property taxes, so what are you doing to benefit the community? And, and I, I thought, well, that, isn't that an interesting question? We, we, don't always, we don't always think about those questions in terms of other organizations. Like, what, what are those people doing to benefit me, Right? What, what is the school doing to benefit me? What is the, the fire department doing to benefit me? What, what are these different organizations doing? How do they, they benefit me? And then the, the church specifically. And so I, I want to um, consider this. And so one of the things that I had to do was go, yeah, how come we get nonprofit status? Uh, or, or how come we are tax exempt, right? How come we're, we're tax exempt? And we don't have to pay taxes. And so I started looking at some of the history on that and researching. And what I found is that uh, the church is tax exempt because it's nonprofit, not because it does charitable things in the community. My assumption, much I think like the person who asked the question or the people who asked these questions, my assumption was that historically churches have done things like built hospitals and taken care of the poor and done all kinds of charitable stuff. And so because by virtue of the things that they were doing for the community, then the community said, you're such a blessing to us, we will let you be tax exempt. That's not how it works, actually. The way that it works, actually, is uh, because we are not a profit organization, that is, we're not making money here, we don't have to pay taxes. And the reason is, you would be getting double taxed. 
right? Because we're not making money, we're not generating money. And so if we were taxed as a non-profit organization, you would be taxed as an individual, and then you would be taxed again as a member of this organization, right? So it, it doesn't actually have anything to do with what we do in the community or not. And so I don't have to preach a sermon today. <laughs> In fact, I was thinking about this. And, okay, so the Boy Scouts, right? The Boy Scouts organization, they own some properties, camps and those sorts of things. They don't have to pay property tax on properties that they own, regardless of whether or not Boy Scouts are doing many service projects in the community or not, just by virtue of them being an organization that doesn't make money, they don't have to pay taxes. Okay, so that that's... That's all well and good. And I could, somebody could ask me, what good are you doing in the community? And I could say, look, I don't have to do any good to the community. <laughs> because that's not why we're not taxed. And that probably would not sit well. Right? That's probably not the response that they're looking for. So let's, let's look at the heart of the heart of the question. And that is, should Christians be a benefit to the community that they find themselves in? Should Christians be a benefit to the community that they find themselves in? Because while I look at the organization of the church and I say, it is not our goal to be a financial benefit to this community, right? It's, it's not our goal to do that. That's not why we exist as a church. And so when you're asking the question, what benefits are you providing, especially monetarily, right? You're not getting taxed, and so what monetary benefits are you providing to the community? It's a little bit, to me, I, the best analogy I could come up with was um, like asking a hospital, okay, how many band-aids are you handing out in the community? The hospital would go, that's, that's not really what we do. We're not really about handing out band-aids. Like, we, we take care of medical issues. If you need band-aids, you go to the store and buy band-aids. You have a cut and you don't have to come see us because you can just put a band-aid on it, a little bit of uh, bacitracin or something. Great. Do that. But what we do here is we take care of real medical issues. Like, if you break an arm, that's us. We, we take care of broken arms. We take care of sicknesses. We take care of diseases. That's why we exist. And they're like, yeah, I know. But I don't have one of those. And a lot of people actually in the community don't have that. But we get lots of cuts. So how many band-aids are you handing out in the community? That, that's what it feels like, like to me a little bit, is what, what kind of financial benefit are you providing to the community? Uh, that's not where we're at. We're, we're about spiritual needs. We, we, we believe that people are separated from God because of their sin. That there is an eternal God in heaven who loves you very much, but when you sin, you are separated from Him and deserving of His judgment. Which means, if you remain in that state, you are going to spend eternity in hell. And so the business of the church 
is to proclaim the good news that Jesus has died on the cross for your sin, to remove your sin and give you His righteousness so that you can be reconciled with God eternally. Having what we say is eternal life with God. We think that's the best news that we could possibly tell you. That's better than you winning the lottery. That's better than you getting free band-aids. That's better than anything else that you might be able to think of. The best news that we can come up with is you can be reconciled with God now and for all of eternity. All of your guilt, all of your shame, everything that's associated, broken relationships, that it's, that's associated with sin, those, that's removed and you're given a clean slate and a brand new relationship with God. That is what we're about. That is the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of the church. But, the, the, but they want to know, are you a blessing to us though? Are you a blessing to us? And the answer is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, here's, here's, I'm, I'm gonna walk us through, um, how I see the church being a blessing. Okay? Here's the, here's the first, here's the first thing. The church is a blessing for those who come to it. In, uh, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, uh, Jesus sees the crowds. And he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That, look, for those who come into the church, there is great blessing. It looks different than you might have expected it to look. Right? When you, when you were, um, before you were Christian, before you came into the church, um, then you, you had an idea of what blessing looked like for you. If you made a lot of money, blessing. If you were physically healthy, Blessing. If you had good relationships with people, blessing. Right? These are, are things that were a blessing. If you had a good reputation in the community, that's a blessing. And when we come into the church, we find that we have been reconciled with God. And so God says this, you're blessed, you're blessed when you're poor in spirit. You're blessed when you, you mourn because you're going to be comforted. You're blessed when you're meek for you shall inherit the earth. You're blessed when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness because you'll be satisfied with the receiving of righteousness. 
You see, there's a satisfaction and a contentment that comes with coming to Christ and coming into the church. You find that a, a contentment and a satisfaction here that you're dissatisfied with when you're outside of this. There's a longing that can be found here. And so I, I see this as being a blessing for those who come into the church, much like when you look at other nonprofit organizations like uh, Boy Scouts of America. I, I'm picking on them because I grew up doing scouting, and so uh, I, I know that organization. It's a blessing to its members. There's some byproduct in the service projects that Boy Scouts do and in the training of, of leaders so that they might be good community members. But the real blessing, the, the real benefits are for the members of that group. And those Boy Scouts um, gain a lot by being there. You get to do some really cool activities. I got to do some awesome stuff because I had an awesome troop. So I went sea kayaking and rock climbing and rappelling and camping and hiking and fishing and shooting and archery and all kinds of stuff that my boys go, how come we're not doing Boy Scouts? Because you talk about all the stuff that you did when you were a kid. And I said, yeah, but I don't have time for you to be in Boy Scouts. So, <laughs> there is blessing for those who come into the church. The members of the church are the, the primary recipients of the blessing. There is a spiritual, emotional contentment that is found here as we proclaim the good news about Jesus on a weekly basis and encourage one another in this place. It's a great blessing. In fact, this, this blessing has, has been for a long time. Um, way, way back in Genesis, God called Abraham and He told Abraham, come away to this place that I will give you so that I will be your God and you and your descendants will be my people and I will bless you. So in Genesis chapter 22, verse 15, it says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So you have this blessing that God is saying, look, I am going to bless you. When you come and you are my people, I am going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. It's a blessing to those who come and reside as members of the community. It's also a blessing to those who just come to the community. Right? So he says um, to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And we saw that in the nation of Israel, as they set up this nation, that those who would come would be blessed. Those who were uh, sojourners and outsiders, um, would come into the nation of Israel and they would be blessed there. There were laws about that, in fact, in Leviticus. And Leviticus, which was the priestly law, the instruction that Moses got and gave to the people, this, as you go into the nation of Israel or the land of Israel and become a nation, this is how you ought to behave. This is how you ought to live. And so in Leviticus 19, verse 9, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. 
Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. He says, look, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide all that you need so that your harvests will be plentiful and you will have all that you need. In fact, you're going to give 10% back to me as the first fruits. The first 10% that you get, you're going to give back to me as representation that you believe that I'm providing for all of your needs. And in addition, you're not going to gather everything that's there. You're going to not, not um, harvest all the way up to the edges. You're not going to um, gather all of the grapes off the vine. And all the ones that fall on the ground, don't pick them up. Just leave them there. So that when the poor and the sojourners, the outsiders, the people from foreign lands, when they come through, they might go through your field and they might glean so that they also will have what they need. So that you will be a blessing to other people. You're going to be a blessing to other people. This is his instruction. And he continues in the next several verses um, to tell them about how they ought to be as a community. They shouldn't deal falsely with, an, with one another. Um, they shouldn't uh, cheat one another. They shouldn't um, rob people they, or uh, be uh, unjust about the way that they do wages. They shouldn't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind because that's just mean. And he says, and you shall fear for I am the Lord. You should do these things because I am the Lord. You should do these things because I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in the court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you should judge your neighbor. You shouldn't go around as a slanderer. And he goes on and on. And he says after each section, because I am the Lord. And then he finishes with this in verse 18 of Leviticus 19. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Because, he says, because you have come into my community and I am God, I am the Lord, and I have rescued you and I have saved you. That was true of the Israelites that he took out of Egypt. It's true for his church today whom he has rescued from sin. He says, because I am the Lord and I have saved you, therefore this is how you ought to live. You ought to be a blessing. You should love your neighbor as yourself. You ought to be a, a, a blessing to those who come to you. But then, not only those who come to you, but those whom you find yourself in and amongst. I mean, it was one thing when the nation of Israel was a great nation and people were flocking to them to receive a residual blessing from what the Israelites were getting. But then... Then the Israelites had to go off into exile because they hadn't obeyed the Lord and they had to go and live among the Gentiles, among the nations, not in their own land. Not where people would be coming to them, but where they would be going and living amongst other people. And uh, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There is this expectation that those who belong to the community of God will be uh, representing Him to the community that they are in. In the way that a, a city is up on a hill or a light is put on a stand so that it shines and everybody can see it, so people in what they see from God's people should be praising God because of what His people are like. Because of the way that His people interact in the communities that they find him, themselves in, people should be responding and go, Wow! Wow! If that's what a follower of, of God looks like, that must be an awesome God. That must be an awesome God. In fact, this was true of, of the Israelites as they were in exile in Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, starting in verse 4, the Lord is, is talking to um, His people through Jeremiah the prophet. And he's, he's telling them, look, you're going off into exile. You have sinned, and I warned you to repent, and you sinned. And I warned you to repent, and you sinned. And I warned you to repent, or else you would have to leave my land that I've given to you, and you continued to sin. And now, you're going to have to go and live amongst the Babylonians. You're going to have to go live in Babylon. And don't believe it when false prophets say, Oh, we're just barely going to land in Babylon and then the Lord is going to deliver us and bring us back. He says, Nope. Nope, that's not how it's going to go. Because you have sinned and continued to sin against me. And so you are going to go and you are going to stay in Babylon for a while. Thus, just get comfortable there in Babylon. Because you are not coming back anytime soon. And this is his instruction to them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. As you go in exile, and you're living in Babylon, you ought to be praying for Babylon, living in Babylon, making your home in Babylon, and blessing Babylon. Which is weird. Right? For, for God's people who have said we are distinct and set apart, and the way that we are a blessing is God has made us to be His people living in His land. To, and then as much as He blesses us, there will be this overflow blessing that spills into the other nations that surround us. And as people come in, we will be a blessing to them because God has blessed us. This has been their mentality. 
And now that they're sent out of their land into exile, into Babylon, God's saying, okay, I know that Babylon came in and they defeated you. They came in and they took over and dragged you off, but it's because actually I'm sending you to Babylon so that you might be in exile there. And while you're there, Pray to the Lord on its behalf and seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Again, we see the same things in Jesus. I mean, Jesus, His, his primary ministry was to come and bring people back to God, right? That He would call them to repentance And then He died on the cross for their sin. That was His primary ministry. That God so loved the world that He sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life. That was mission number one. But Jesus did not just like touch down on earth and go, okay, cross time, let's get this over with. Instead, He comes and He starts teaching And he gives uh, the Beatitudes that we read at the beginning of the service. Here's what it looks like to be blessed in God's kingdom. And he models for his disciples, this is what it looks like to love people. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, not just to die on the cross, but as he got prepared and ready for the cross, he was speaking to the people and telling them about the good news. And not just, not just about the good news of salvation and repentance that, that leads to relationship with God, but also looking on them with compassion. How many times as you read through the Gospels do you see Jesus looking on them and going, You need help. Sitting on the Mount of Olives and looking over at Jerusalem and going, I just want to cry like a mother looking at her children who are falling down. Because you are so lost and need so much help. After a long day of ministry, getting ready to uh, go away with his disciples and telling them, look, we're going to go over to this place where nobody's there and we can just rest for a while. And all the crowds follow him and so he teaches them. And then after he teaches them, he goes, you know what, they're probably tired and hungry too. And so he feeds them. And he heals the lame and the sick and the demon-possessed and the blind, and the deaf, and the mute. So that everyone who comes to Him is touched by Him, and their lives are transformed. So that throughout the book of Mark, while He's doing this over and over again, and He's going, okay, but don't tell anybody about this, okay? Don't tell anybody about this. And they just can't help it. They're going and telling everybody, you'll never guess what Jesus did! You will never guess what Jesus did! Did he make you walk? Yeah! That's why I'm walking. You'll never guess what Jesus did. Did he make it so you could see? Yeah! That's why I'm seeing you. Just over and over again, people talking about how great and compassionate and wonderful Jesus is. 
And his disciples are sent to do the same thing. So that in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. This is, this is that set-apart kind of people language, right? This community of God's people living together in a completely different way. You used to be over there in the dark, and now you're here in the light. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession, but so that you may proclaim... The excellencies, how wonderful God is who called you out of that darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Therefore, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil, uh, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Look, you're supposed to live as a follower of Christ. You're supposed to live as someone who is an alien in a foreign land, as a sojourner, as a foreigner. As an outsider, you're supposed to live in this different land. And when they look at you and say, you're a weirdo, you don't really belong here, your good works are supposed to testify to the fact that God is good and He loves them. That's the kind of thing that's supposed to be happening. You're supposed to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what are some of the things that we're doing? Is there practically things that we can do, right? If if we as God's people are called to be set aside a holy kind of people who are doing things that demonstrate God's love to the world, not just in proclaiming the good news about His salvation, but also recognizing their felt needs, the ways that they feel that they need help, and addressing those, meeting those needs. What is the church doing? As I mentioned toward the beginning of the service, globally and historically, the church has been very involved in things like education and hospitals and charitable ministries and disaster relief. That Some of the, the people who will be the first ones there and the longest ones there after a, um, after a hurricane or some other kind of d- disaster are churches. The churches respond and they continue to respond. They're not the only ones. I don't in any way mean to say that no one else out there is doing anything good, right? But I am saying that the churches tend to be among the first there and among the last still there, loving and helping. New Life Church specifically, I was just thinking, what, what are some of the benefits, right? I said that there, there are benefits for those who come in and are members of the church. I, I've seen this be a place where people say, I belong here. This is like family for me. 
This is a place where you can find community and in life groups or just being in the church, you find people who are willing to love on you and walk with you and help you and encourage you. And and anybody could walk in off the street and I feel like we would respond that way. That's the culture of this church is when you come in, we love you. We love you and we want to take care of you. And I've talked with so many people that they arrive in a new city because of a job or, or some other reason. They, they, this was where they could find an apartment or this was where they could find a house. And they're like, how do I make friends? How do I meet people? Because I go to work and I come home and I don't really have a place where I can connect with people and, and there are relationships, community benefits just by coming into the church. It's a pretty wonderful thing that way. I, I feel like the, the families and marriages that, of people that come into, it's, it's healthier. It's healthier. Because there are people here that are helping you and encouraging you and listening and, and walking with you and going, yeah, okay, this is what the Bible's calling us to. It's, it's just stronger here. There's um, benevolence, right? The, as we're thinking, those are sort of intangible. The relationship things are a little bit more intent, intangible. Uh, but more tangibly, benevolence needs. When, when people have a need, the bills that they can't, can't pay, medical things that, that piled up or something, the church will, will respond and help with those things. Some of you don't even know we have a benevolence fund. We have a benevolence fund. It's not something that we make a big deal about. But it's there. People give to, to that fund, and then when needs arise, if you hear about a need, our goal with that fund is to meet uh, needs of people that are in the church or people that uh, our church members are ministering to. That, that's sort of the way that we talk about that as elders. Is we're, we're trying to take care of those people, the, the people who are in the church, and then one layer outside the church. Other ministries that we have that, that bless the community are Coffee Cart. So at New Life West Lynn, um, for, I don't know, 15 years, maybe more than 15 years, several mornings a week, sometimes it's been Monday through Friday, other times it's been like four, four days a week, but many days, the church is open. And it's a warm, safe place to be before school where you can get uh, something hot to drink, you can get pastries, and somebody's there to talk with you. And I was talking with somebody who um, uh, was a, a music connection. I, my kids do music things, and so I was talking with somebody in the community that I'd never met before. And I was talking with, with him, and um, as far as I know, he's not a Christian, but he, he was saying, oh, hey, hey, you're connected with that church, Right? And I said, yeah, I'm in, in Wilsonville and they're in Westland, but we're one, one church. And he said, oh, he said, I just want to say thank you for Coffee Cart. I said, well, how do you know about Coffee Cart? He said, several of my music students uh, have talked about it. And he said, I just think it's such a great blessing to the community that you offer that as a place for, for kids to go before school. That's awesome. 
I wasn't looking for that. I wasn't seeking that out. But he, he put together, oh, I know two things about New Life Church. <laughs> I met you and you're from New Life Church and I know about coffee cart. I have high regard for you and the things that you're doing because you do a coffee cart ministry. That's fantastic. We have um, foster parents night out. Awesome. Awesome. When, when I first heard about Foster Parents Night Out, I went, this is a great way to really love on people who are loving on foster kids. We're going to provide parents a night out once a month so that they can go, right? They can just go and get a night away. Foster parents don't get a lot of reprieve. And so we're going to really bless them. And then as uh, I was talking with uh, Elizabeth about it, and she's like, actually, it's really loving on the foster kids too. Like, this is a place where they should really want to come, and once a month they're like, excited to be here, because we're loving on them. And I went, oh, hey, that makes sense. Yes, double blessing, both taking care of of, uh, the foster parents, or the way biblical language, the fatherless, right, that that we're taking care of the orphans, so we take care of the, the foster children and the foster parents. And I came uh, last time we had one here and walked around and saw all of the people that were here and loving on kids and doing stuff. Looked like a lot of fun. Great blessing to the community. We have Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery every Friday night. And I mean every Friday night. There's a meal for people who uh, are in recovery. And... um, and then uh, small group meetings afterwards to help them deal with their issues. It's been going on for years. It started because it, from New Life Westland, just down the street, is a 90-day house. So that people who are coming out of prison go for 90 days into that apartment complex as they transition from there to somewhere else. And because of that um, proximity to our church, they decided to start a Celebrate Recovery ministry. And then because of the Celebrate Recovery ministry, somebody said, hey, uh, why don't we buy that house that's for sale across the street, and then we can turn that into um, a recovery house because uh, 90 days isn't really long enough, and people need a longer transition time. And so they did that, and now we have two recovery houses right there, practically adjacent, but I mean, right in on the block where the church is, there are two recovery houses. Some of you don't even know know that, but but these are some of the things that are happening in the church. The Celebrate Recovery Ministry, and then the extension of that into uh, the Recovery House Ministry. Um, and then I was just thinking about the church members themselves, and and the growth I have seen in some of you. In the time that you've been here, not just in your in yourself. I've seen growth in many of you, you yourselves. And I've seen growth in your relationships with your family and with others in the church. But I've also seen growth in the way that you interact with the community. That's pretty cool. 
So like I look at the Boy Scout uh, organization and I see, okay, one of the benefits of the Boy Scouts is that the people, the, the boys who are growing up are being trained in how to do leadership and how to do service projects and how to be uh, good members of the community. What I'm seeing is even though that's not been our focus, that we're like, hey, you need to be a better member of the community, I'm just seeing that happen for people in New Life Church specifically. I'm sure it's happening in other churches too. I think that just by nature of coming to Christ and having um, things like this read to you, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall... Uh, inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I, I think just hearing those kinds of things and knowing how Christ has loved us causes us to love other people better. But I'm seeing that. It's a, a, I don't know how I would quantify that, right? If somebody said, in what ways are you being better? Uh, is your church impacting the community and being a blessing to the community? And I would say, well, um, people in my church are becoming better members of the community. I'd, how do I quantify that? Could I put a monetary value on that? We should really get a tax exemption because the dollar number for that kind of... I, I can't do that. But it's something that I'm seeing. And I have yet to see somebody come into the church and become a worse community member because they came into New Life Church. I suppose that could yet happen, um, but I haven't seen it yet. But it does, it does lead me to this. Ultimately, the church, New Life Church, is a collection of its members. So when I say the church has a benevolence fund, it's because its members collect money for benevolence giving and surface needs so that they can be met. When I say New Life Church has a coffee cart ministry, we, it's not like we are hiring people and have a business of, we, we solicit donations, we buy the the coffee and the pastries and things, volunteers show up and do the work because it's the members doing that ministry. Foster parents night out, same kind of thing. The recovery house thing. All of the ministries of the church, it's all done by the members of the church. Which also means that when we're doing anything in the community, our reputation in the community is only impacted by what the members of New Life Church are doing in the community. And I don't have any expectation that you're going to put on a New Life t-shirt and go out and be like, hey, I'm doing this for New Life. Right? That's, that's not our goal. Our goal is not to trumpet ourselves and say, look at what we're doing. Oh, look how once a month New Life Church puts on its New Life t-shirts and we go out and pick up trash at the park. We're not going to do that. That's not, what, that's not what we're going for. But we do have an expectation that we're going to be connecting and loving on and being compassionate toward those who are in the community, looking for opportunities to serve in the community. Do you know how desperate people are for people to serve 
Man, you, you have a hard time finding an organization that when you show up and go, can I volunteer here? They would go, you know, we're full. If you want to show up and hand out soup on the day after Thanksgiving, maybe that would happen. But most of the time, if you're showing up and you're just saying, I just want to serve, like throughout the year on a fairly regular basis, is there anything I can do? The schools are going to be like, yeah, we got stuff for you to do. The city will go, I have ideas for you. There are, there are places where, where um, there's lots of opportunity to serve. And I think that when they asked this question, right, so I've talked a lot about the New Life Church as an organization, but this one was, was very specific about the people of the church. If you are, and they used, turned the word Christian into a little Christ, if you are a little Christ, in what ways is your neighborhood a better place as a result of your presence? And so I have to ask, okay, Church members, in what ways is your community, is your neighborhood better because of your presence there? In what way? If you suddenly moved out of that community, whatever the, whether the community is an organization that you're connected to or your physical neighborhood that you live in... If you moved out, would anybody go, I really miss them? Is anybody looking around going, "They, they really impacted this neighborhood. They've really impacted this group. They've really impacted this organization. I know for several of you, that's true. If you pulled out, people would go, wait, 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 wait. Can we convince you to stay? But it's something to ask. In what way is your neighborhood a better place? Is your community a better place? And one of the things that we have been promoting, we tried it last year, uh, we did sports camp last year, that was our big community push. This year, uh, we're doing neighborhood barbecues. That's our big push. We would love for every person in this church to put on a neighborhood barbecue. Scope. Let me give you some scope. Your neighborhood barbecue could be for your entire block with bounce houses and catering and the whole nine yards. Or, it could be the people who live on this side of you and the people who live on that side of you and you invite them over for dessert. But, Either way, you having the opportunity to build or further relationship with your neighborhood. You can talk with with Roger. Roger would love to talk with you about neighborhood barbecues. Dan Lundy would love to talk with you about neighborhood barbecues. They'd love to talk with you about neighborhood barbecues because they've done them, because they're on the local outreach team, because they're passionate about them. And have all kinds of ideas about ways that you can uh, continue to build community in your neighborhood. And so I just want to encourage you. People are asking. 
People are asking, how are you, how are you as a Christian, how are you as a church, a blessing to our community? And I think biblically, as we've looked through, they have the right to ask that question. There is an expectation that followers of Christ will be a blessing to their community. And so, what are you going to do to be a blessing to your community this week, this summer, this year? Let's pray.